to the preparing side or the navigating side? Probably the preparing side because 50% of, of deals fall apart in due diligence and just so many people are just not prepared. So let's uh, let's focus on that. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, and then are we talking about uh, small businesses that are maybe looking on the horizon to prepare for this five to 10 years out or that are kind of like here and now in the mix of it? You know, our all of our data says it's here and now. And, and so it's anywhere from I'm ready to do this today to within the next 12 months. Okay. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Perfect. All right. What are the top three uh, greatest secrets um, in this case for preparing for exit? One, um, you know, businesses that that have not done any preparation um, are unlikely to actually complete a transaction. Two, uh, a myth about the whole industry at, at large is that every business is looking for a buyer. Close to 50% are actually um, know who that buyer will be. So it's going to be an employee, a family member, or a business partner. And three. Um, All right. Welcome in to Vision Pros Live with Jackson Callum. I'm your show host. We will be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there. Hey there, and welcome in to Vision Pros Live. I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I'm excited to have Eric Grafstrom here today. He has a depth of knowledge and background with startups, with small businesses. In fact, he's built a software called Exit Guide that looks quite impressive. Um, and I'm not in the process of exiting my business right now. I'm in the process of building and scaling it. But the baby boomers out there, a lot of you guys are exiting. Also, a lot of people that have built something substantial and maybe you're thinking, you know, what, what can I get in return for this? I do recommend checking out Exit Guide as a potential tool. You'll get to hear from the founder himself in just a minute. Before we bring Eric on stage, though, we're going to talk about these sponsors, some of these tools that have helped us, some of the tools that could have helped me when I was getting started. So Cold Click is what we use for our LinkedIn automation. And that gets us in front of brand new people every single day. Uh, yesterday, I went into my messages. I had 47 messages that were marked for me to respond to. And I usually only go in like, once every once, sorry, twice every week, I go in and check and see what messages need my attention versus a virtual assistant. There's 47 messages, super helpful. People who want to be on our show in our case, um, people who want to engage with us about our growth principles as well. I went back in today, I responded to all those yesterday, it took me about an hour. And then I went back in yesterday, this morning and looked and we already had 22 new messages. Uh, it's really helpful to have a system that drives those types of opportunities to us so we can find the people who are ready to reciprocate um, with us and providing good to the world. That's what we look for. Then there's this simple, fast websites. Um, Shane Michael, young guy, got a startup. He's already starting to rank pretty high on Google for this thing. And I was just impressed that he's trying to build websites at $179 a month as a starting entry point. When I was starting my business, if I could have had a website provider help me at that rate, I probably would have just paid him and said, hey man, give me whatever I need to submit and allow them to build the first iteration of my website. If you're new to business, your website's going to be created. You're then gonna to talk to your market. You're gonna realize you need to change. You're gonna pivot a lot and make a lot of adjustments. So rather than spending a ton of time up front on your website, stay focused on productively representing your brand, talking to people, try to get the website done as a placeholder. One secret for all of you pros out there, when we're interviewing people, sometimes even our visionaries say, Oh, you know, our website, I really need to update that. Everybody does. 
Your website's a representation of your past. It always will be. You can't have a website that represents your future. It can only represent what your potential future might look like. So rather than, than harp on your website or feel bad, just know that it's getting the job done of putting a, putting up, if you're getting the job done, putting a professional brand out there and what you've accomplished, that can be your springboard to attract people to talk to you. If you're looking for a website that converts, you're going to need to spend a whole lot more than $179. Um, so be ready for that too. Then there's the water project. The water project is one thing that we always talk about on this show. It's what we, what we really want to drive awareness around what we give back to as well. There's millions of people who don't have access to clean drinking water like you and I do. What I love about the water project is they show you which project you're able to, you can contribute to, you can pick and choose, and you get to see how that affects the community. And you get to see the results of the borehole well or the sand dam that they create. I think the transparency is amazing. If you're thinking in your head and your heart, you're like, Jackson, there's this thing that I really want you to talk about or contribute to. Do us a favor. Drop the link in the comments because there's lots of ways to help. There's 8 billion people for us to help in this world. And if we're fortunate enough to listen to a podcast right now, the least we can do is kind of create some awareness for those people who, who drastically need more help than we do. So with that said, um, let me pull up exit guide real quick. All right, let me do that. Here we go. I want to dive into Eric's depth here. Um, and again, I, you know, so if you're not looking at the screen, I'm not going to read these to you. We can always come back to the YouTube channel. Some of the, the striking comments in Eric's uh, testimonials from founders about him being the guy to go to, him being the person that they called last minute and they got the information that they needed, like super on point, got centered right before going into their, their negotiations or into uh, move, moving their brand forward. Um, it, it's quite impressive. He's got a background of, of helping more than 20 venture-backed companies in Silicon Valley. For those of you, again, newer to the startup space or not involved in startup world, while San Francisco um, has its pros and cons, one of the one of the championship titles it's known for is the fact that it knows how to scale and grow businesses. So having the having the background of helping these 20 different venture backed companies in Silicon Valley and then being known as the guy to come in and solve the problem and having the clarity to know like if you're building your team, you're fundraising, operating or planning, but operating plans and budgets, if you're deciding if you should pivot or you need validation on a concept. I just, I'm very impressed with what he's put out here in terms of his clarity. I'm also very grateful for his no BS approach to business. I got to experience that firsthand in my pre-show with Eric. I honor him for that because I know he's respecting both my time and his in the process. And as you can see on my screen, there's a whole lot of clarity built into Exit Guide and the free valuation assessment. I think it's absolutely worth diving into. So. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on Vision Pro Live today. Great to be here, Jackson. Look forward to, to our conversation. Me as well, man. One thing I'd like to do is there, there's just so much noise online with profiles these days, right? There's a lot of accolades. Anybody can build a profile that makes them look like the Wizard of Oz, um, right? So I'd like to know from you know your firsthand background, your words, like kind of who should be listening and what is it about your background that that helps them key in on understanding why you're the guy to come and talk to about exiting? Well, you know, um, this was born out of actually, a, a, you know, decades of experience. I, um, you know, I had the good fortune of starting at a, at a company called AudioNet in Dallas, Texas, and that became broadcast.com. So I was, you know, sitting in a room with a, on a car table, banging out cold calls to people 
Um, it, back then, I don't want to date myself, but people did not have sound cards and speakers. And I was asking them to, uh, you know, try to broadcast corporate events, what have you, over the internet. Uh, through that journey, it, it just kind of led me to just what it took to actually, you know, go from a, an idea to putting a business in place, scaling it and driving revenue. And, you know, I had some wins. I mean, broadcast.com clearly worked out, but but between then and now, I mean, it's it's been hard. And so um, I think one of the things that, that you look for is uh, somebody who has the experience of getting punched in the mouth. You know, mm. it, 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 yeah. is it someone who's had the experience of failure because, you know, in, in, in taking nothing away from people who've, who've come from, you know, accomplished backgrounds, but if you've gone to, uh, you know, a very pedigreed school and you've gone to work at, say, a Google or a Facebook, uh, again, it, it takes certain skills and insights and, and knowledge and talent to do that. But when I interview people or when people talk to me, I, I do want to know where they failed and what they've learned from that and how that built them up and, and what are the things that they know they need to avoid and how that made them a more resilient entrepreneur. I love that. I'm, I'm a little bit infamous for saying that the best sales rep for Disney is the fastest paper pusher. Um, <laughs> and it, granted they have skills, they're trained well, sure. but yeah. their, their cell is secured. You know, I'm going to yes. Disneyland. I'm yeah. going to get there whether you get in my way or yeah. not. Yeah. Um, and so there is a different mentality. There's a different, yeah. there's a different style. Like you said, when you've been punched in the mouth, I love that. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk first about the, the success vision. What's the vision look like for those that you serve? What's their destination arrival? What, what's, what's, I don't want to say practical cause it could be huge and amazing too, yeah. but what can they anticipate? Well, with exit guide, you know, I came from this background in Silicon Valley, which has its own weirdness when it comes yeah. to the valuation of a company and, you know, should they exit and people, you know, pay for companies that have no revenue. So I, I had experience with, with this in, in, you know, a bunch were, were to be very clear, were dumpster fires and, and it was not easy to, you know, trying to help navigate the path. Hmm. What I realized though, is that that bubble is, does not align with the rest of, of the business world. And hmm. when it comes to small business, I'm going to give a, a couple of data points here. Small business is about 40% of the GDP in the United States. Okay. 85% of small businesses are owned by Gen X and baby boomers. Youngest is about 44. Most of them are, are over the age of 60. Now, big, big majority, probably 90% or more, are worth less than $5 million. So what's going to happen over the next 10 to 15 years is... You said 90%? 90, over 90%. So they're really small meaning they might have a couple hundred thousand or maybe a million dollars in revenue. Right. And so a couple of things are going to happen. One, 100% of them will have to exit at some point for obvious reasons. People are going to retire or pass away or whatever it may be. Now, because the baby boomer generation is so large, there'll be tons and tons of businesses worth more than $5 million, say between $5 million and $20 million, and they will gobble up all the resources for business brokers, M&A advisors, attorneys, and CPAs, and so on and so forth. What will happen, though, is to those that are worth, you know, say anywhere from two hundred fifty thousand to about two and a half million, is they they really they don't have access to these resources. One, they they just generally speaking, they can't afford them. But two, even if they did want to overpay for those resources relative to the value of their business, 
why would you help somebody who has a $600,000 value business when you could help somebody who has a $15 million business? Correct. So our vision really is to blend uh, technology and expert resources to kind of create a very simplified M&A process that starts with, I don't even know what I'm doing to, okay, now I know what my business may be worth. I know the steps I need to take. And I know how to navigate the steps to actually close a transaction. So I think democratize gets overused. I'm going to use it here because it's, it's just easy. Yeah. But, you know, we want to democratize an M&A process for Main Street. That's noble. It is. I, I actually, you know, having worked on a lot of things, I mean, um, I had the good fortune of living in Menlo Park, California for 17 years, which is home of Facebook, Sand Hill Road. It's right where Stanford is. And you're in this crazy bubble. And if I I didn't have access to somebody through outside counsel at a company I was working not with, or or you know um, maybe it was somebody on on the team, I, I mean it, it was somebody that was a neighbor or a, a parent <laughs> of one right. of my kids' friends, whatever it may be. I, I could say you know, hey Jackson, let's go meet for a cup of coffee. I want to get your opinion on X, Y, and Z. And for you know a six dollar cup of coffee. I'm getting, you know, world-class advice, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's just not normal. And so right. what I wanted to do is I wanted to say, look, for whatever reason that bothers me, because you have people that have businesses, whether it's a local floral shop or a coffee stand or a plumbing business or whatever it may be, and they haven't really broken through that big value, but of a multi-million dollar a year business. But the real businesses, these people have mortgages, they have kids, they put food on the table, they've been a part of their community and and done so for as, as few as three to five years, in many cases, 15 to 20. And I think it's unjust, crazy that we are not as a society trying to help them with fundamentally the most important business decision they'll make in their entire life. It's huge. <clears throat> I love that. Um, I'm not I'm not from the Menlo bubble. Um, and I've never, <laughs> never really, I've, I've stepped foot in it once. Oh, um, no. <laughs> Hope you're okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and most people I don't think know I'm LDS. Um, and so I'm familiar with the Mormon bubble in yeah. Utah. Um, you know, and, and I went to school in Provo for a little bit. They call it Happy Valley, um, yes. you know, for a reason. And there's this very different culture, um, you mm -hmm. know, of, of connectedness activity level again that mentorship that exists from a, yeah. a spiritual standpoint or a pathway standpoint um I, to each their own on the process i don't like it like for me it wasn't it's not mm. for me i i love texas um more i love third world countries i really do enjoy yeah. living in those types of environments where then there's just there are different pros and cons but for me the same is saying same thing is true honestly i felt a little bit worthless in the mormon bubble right i didn't feel like i could help people as well okay. while i lived in an environment where everybody was pretty much better than me and everything i did um and it, it felt that way yeah. so uh, it's no it's no surprise too that it also has the highest rate of depression i don't think those are I ironically connected yeah. well um, there's, a, there's a saying of don't compare your inside to someone else's outside so i Right. I, I appreciate what you're saying and where, where it comes from. And I think a lot of us, including myself, have experienced that. And you don't know what's going on inside someone's heart. You don't know what's going on inside of, of someone's day-to-day -day life. Um, right. Things may look great on the outside and, and be very tumultuous inside. So, But, I, but I, I know where you're coming from and I appreciate it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And and then you, you take this skill set, though, and you apply it to the rest of the world. And now you're creating and you're expanding the environment of success um, by mm-hmm. by doing that, too. I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, so what's your what's your vision for you? You know, I, I I've I've been a startup guy my entire career. Um, I'd probably make a terrible employee, you know, uh, but but through the, the dozens of startups, you know, we moved from Dallas to London and London to California and uh, we, we moved to, to Austin about three years ago after um, raising our kids in, in Silicon Valley may or may not have been the best environment for them, but they're, they're, you know, young, healthy adults. I'm, I'm could be more proud of my, my daughter, Taylor, who's in London, my son, Wilson, who's in, in Denver. Um, you know, I, I, I want to do this. Like I, I, you know, at this stage in my life and my career, I, I, I should be peak salary. I mean, I, I, you know, my kids are, are relatively, you know, launched, you know, newly launched. I should be killing it, you know, as, as an executive at some technology company, you know, but th- there's a couple of things. A vision for me, uh, one, I want to help other people. And I feel like I've been blessed with some resources along the way, as well as a, a a weird journey through startup land that took me to different countries and different places that has taught me a lot. I have a journalism degree. So, so by all accounts, I shouldn't have done any of the job I've had over the past, <laughs> you know, 20 years. Uh, but I feel very passionate about this. I, I, I just, this is a thing is, is a friend of mine asked me, I need to see this in the world. Um, which is kind of this, how do I, how do I make the, this process, accessible to people who otherwise would not have access to it in like even if i made let's just hypothetically say let's just say i hypothetically made a hundred million dollars from exit guide uh like i can't i couldn't like i don't play golf but like i couldn't just sit around and you know you know do hobbies i would go do this again i would either do it as is uh, another founder or helping a group of founders or whatever it may be uh, but this is this is what I do. I believe this is what I was designed to do. And um, so my the vision for me is continue to be a great husband, a great dad. Hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm both of those um, contributing member, you know, to my community and to my society um, and, and then use the God given talents that I have for, you know, crazy startups and technology to help other people and solve problems and uh, hopefully not create new ones along the way. That's amazing. Uh, I love that. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, obviously it's not a vision to, to judge by any means or say like, Hey, here I am to, to quantify this or say that was, that was the right thing or, or anything like that, but it does resonate with me as a, as a rising visionary. Um, so in terms of, uh, some of the things that you said, I want to go back to this, uh, this reality of SMB versus Silicon Valley, right? The, the world is different. The <laughs> yeah. options, yeah. Know, are different. The mentalities are different. Well, one reality that also exists, I would say, is the sports world of business is also different, um, right? That's a com- that's another segment. There's virtues that are practiced in all three, and there's vices mm-hmm. and yeah. and challenges that exist in all three. So uh, having the having the spectrum, uh, you know, the uh, the the paradigm from somebody like you that has been in at least two of those worlds um, is one that, if, if again, those who are listening. If you're preparing for that and navigating your small business exit, you want somebody by your side with that type of, of depth and knowledge from both both perspectives. Um, 
another strange question for you. I'm a big fan of the book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. I don't know if you've read it. Um, I have not. Okay. I've probably experienced all five in, in six <laughs> and seven too, but go ahead. 99% of companies do. Yeah. Um, well, what, what I want to compare to though is in that story, the CEO comes in, the new CEO has been hired. Yeah. She is very different than the demographic of the existing employees. And she spends her first two weeks listening not saying Smart. a word going Smart. into these. Okay. So what I exist. So she's been those first two weeks listening, not moving, not moving anything, making sure she understands the culture really well. Mm-hmm. And then she gets to work after that point. So I was going to ask, is that how you go about things or some of your testimonials are like, like he came in and he made an instant microwave difference. And so I was like, right. oh, I got to ask Eric about this. No, okay. I think I look at, I, I always think it's funny when, when, when people profess is that you just need to follow a methodology. You just need to do this, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, a side note, when it comes to exit guide, one of the things that was core to my thesis when I started this is, uh, well, exiting your business means different things to different people. I mean, everybody's like, so you help them find a buyer. I'm like, no, in fact, we don't do that at all. Most people start with, I don't even know what I'm, what, what, what to do. Um, some want to sell to an employee. Some don't know if they can sell their business and need help with that. Some will have to sell the assets and close. Others will successfully find a buyer in their community. Uh, what I've learned, you know, through through all my 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 years of experience is, um, you know, when you're moving into an organization, a core tenant of leadership for myself is, you know, find and recruit wildly talented people that are smarter than you. Focus on building a level of of trust with them. And then your job at that point is to get out of the way and and allow them to operate at peak performance. Mm. I've been in many organizations where I've come in. I've been the cleanup guy in in a couple of startups, some that that literally had burned through 50 to 60 to $100 million and and had $100,000 left in the bank and CEO was tossed out and I came in. And... Through that, you don't come in with all the answers. What you do is you need to identify who on that team is still committed. Can you trust them? Will they trust you? And then how do you enable them to operate so that they can actually thrive and do their job? And I've said in a number of occasions, if if you think I have all the answers or you're relying on me to come up with the, the plan without you and tell you what to go do, we're, we're screwed. And, and, and anybody who, who, who believes they come in and, and have all the answers, whatever it may be, uh, super big red flag, like it's waving, yeah. the lights are flashing, um, get off that ship as, as fast as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody who comes in and says, look, I, I just need the right 330, 300, whatever the number is in your organization, you know, who are committed that I can trust and, you know, want to operate at a, at a, at a high level. And my job, you know, can be it, it. There are days where some of my job was I will go get lunch, and people are like, "Why are you gonna like you're the CEO? Why would you go get lunch?" I'm like, "I can't code. I mean, like you, this is a technical problem that you need to to fix. Mm-hmm. And if you being fed is part of you continuing to collaborate as a team, going and getting sandwiches is the most important thing that I can possibly do. And so I've done that before, and so. Um, yeah, I, I, without extrapolating too much from your very, very brief description of the book in the scenario, uh, I, you know, 
she sounds like a brilliant CEO and a great leader and in moving into that environment, you know, probably was successful. Yeah, it's uh, well, well, uh, well documented, well said. Um, we just added a, I saw a that new, uh -oh. a new addition to <laughs> five dysfunctions of a team. Um, oh yeah, you got your your hostage. Yeah, I saw that. I know. That was great, man. That's that's something that's been on my yeah. mind. Um, so let me go back to uh, our next question. Our next question is a bit darker. Um, oh, it could be okay. a whole lot darker. What's what's the worst leadership experience you've ever had, been a part of, seen? Let's go far down this road. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and because we, we live in a public world, so I'm not going to get too specific because people could Fair. go in and be like, oh, I, he was talking about that Fair. company on his LinkedIn profile. Mm -hmm. um, I have been part of, of teams where, where uh, we were micromanaged. And what that does is, is hmm. it, it, it drives the, 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 the really talented, independent, fiercely committed people. It drives them away. And the sycophants and those who, you know, want to get ahead based on, you know, managing up, it drives them closer. And it's happened probably twice in my career hmm. where I've been a part of something that you can tell in, in, in been in rooms with, with very smart people where you're thinking, what, like, why, I mean, you know, you don't have to be rude, but you can disagree. And, and if, if an executive team or a management team is together and there isn't some discourse of, I'm not sure I agree with that. Where did you get that data? You know, is that something you think, or do you have a, a you know, experience report, you know, with reports on that, whatever it may be, but, uh, leaders who have micromanaged, um, you know, I've, I, I got fired once and left another company where that was the case. And it, it's just, it's just terrible because it, 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 it demotivates people. It, it robs them of, of their, um, their joy of wanting to come to work every day, even when it's hard and it's difficult work. The reason we call it work is because it's work, right? I mean, you know, yeah. so, so, you know, you, you know, that, that whole, and I think, you know, Scott Galloway and others have, there's like the, the whole thing that is a total misnomer is, you know, follow your passion, you never work a day in your life. That is the biggest pile of hooey Thank ever, you. ever, ever, ever. It's the dumbest thing. It. Thank um, you, Eric. You know, so when people say that, I'm like, you know, look, nobody in their right mind does what I do. I haven't been paid in three years. Like I should have sold my house in California, moved to Austin and taken a job as something. Um, like a fool, like I went and did this because I want to go do it. And so, you know, when you're asking people to do something that takes them away from their families and in other things that bring them joy, uh, you know, you need to, you need to make sure that, that you're giving them something that leverages who they are and what they can do. I do love what I do. I do love, you know, working on, on sure. you know, kind of launching companies and getting them off the ground and helping them scale. Is it a passion? Well, I mean, I guess it is. Sure. Food's a passion. I love to cook. I, right. I actually, you know, at one point thought about doing that professionally. And then what I discovered is like, I'm not a late night person and chefs yeah. have to work really late at night and they're on their feet all day. And I, I went to cooking school for like a week. It was a, just a try before you buy sort of thing going into the right. program. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a passion. And if I 
pursue this as a career, it would kill my passion for, for cooking. So, um, yeah, long-winded way of, of, of saying like, you know, don't micromanage people, you know, be in an environment where your talents are, are respected, who you are as a person is respected and is somebody really kind of helping you kind of thrive and, and get the most out of you? Or are they trying to kind of manage you and tell you what to do because they think they're right? Right. Very good. Let's talk about the best leadership experience ever. It's the opposite. It's what I just described. And I've, I've really tried to emulate it. It's, it's coming in, you know, one of the best questions I think a leader can ask of, of, of employees is saying, I don't know, what do you think we should do? Mm. And especially when, when, when times are tough, right. Especially when you're in a very tense situation, because yeah. it happened to me and I, and I, and I emulated it later when, you know, you're about to run out of money, a product launch did not go, uh, you know, the way you expected it to marketing campaigns aren't working. And there's something empowering about, you know, being asked or asking people, what do you think we should do? And especially if, you know, it doesn't have to be the vice president. Sometimes you just go to, you know, the person with the hands on the keyboard of who's really managing your Facebook campaigns or is handling customer support and being like, let's go ask, you know, let's go ask her. What does she think? And you're like, why would you ask me? I'm like, because you're the one talking to the customers every day. I'm dealing with these knuckleheads and investors and other people. Like you've talked to a hundred more customers than I have. What do you think we should go do? Well, I don't know. This might not be the right idea. I'm like, well, clearly if we had the right idea, we wouldn't be here. Mm. So, you know, great leaders, you know, foster dialogue in, in being in environments where, you know, it was, I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know what your opinion is. And I want to create a space where you feel, empowered and encouraged to come forward with what you think is the right thing to go do. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I, I had the good fortune of, of having some great managers. The number one piece of advice I give to, to people when they come out for the first five years out of, out of college or high school, when they're working for something, don't worry about the title. Don't worry about the organization. Don't worry about all the other nonsense. Find a great mentor and manager that you can work for. The person you're reporting to is much more important than whatever name is on that paycheck or whatever the profile of that company is, it could be Bob's sporting and fishing store for all I care. But if you've got a great manager who's teaching you how to work and learning a craft, that is a hundred times more important than saying I'm the associate, you know, assistant to the vice president of the regional manager at, you know, fancy pants technology company. <laughs> I like that. Um, I want to create a, a new page for our demos and call it Fancy Pants Technology. <laughs> I'm going to buy the domain as soon as we hang up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll beat you to it. <laughs> it's awesome. All right. Eric, if this was the last opportunity to share with us a powerful lesson, what powerful lesson can other visionaries learn from your experience? You know, I, 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 have, a, I have a life verse that I've, I've accepted that is a Yiddish proverb and, and listen to the intent behind the message and not necessarily the source of the message, depending on where you are with faith and whatnot. I'm a Christian, but this is a Yiddish proverb. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. Uh -huh. And so it doesn't mean don't plan, but by that, I mean, like we are all sitting on this blue dot in this massive orbit and, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to move things ahead. And 
one of the ways I look at important decisions is how will I feel about this decision when I'm say 70 or 80 years old, provided I'm blessed to live that long. And so when you're thinking about all these things in front of you and it's easy to stress, I do it all. Like I wake up stressed all the time. Like I'm a you know total ADHD, anxiety driven entrepreneur. And, you know, I feel like at some point I'm going to be living under a bridge and just on it. Like I, I deal with that too. Yep. But what I, what I try to do is I try to say, Hey, look, if, if I can, if I can put my head in the pillow at night, feel like I did anything and everything I did today to be both who I want to be and to kind of accomplish my goals and move the ball forward, then that's all I can control. The rest, I can't, I simply cannot, I cannot control wars. I cannot control the economy. I cannot control those other things. So I'm not going to let those things get me down and, and, and limit my ability to move ahead and just wallow in despair and doom scrolling. But at the same time, I'm, I'm going to, to move ahead and I'm not going to worry about the competition. I'm not going to worry about whether, you know, venture funding is down. I'm not going to worry about the state of technology or Bitcoin or whatever. Can't control those things. What I can do is I can try to recruit people to help and work with me who are super talented, build trust with them, get out of their way and work my tail off on doing what I think is the right thing for my business each and every day. And this is as much as I can do. The rest, if you think you're can control um, with all these other things and you can read the tea leaves about where the market is going, uh, awesome, start a blog, get on Twitter. That's what those things apparently are for. And, um, you know, the rest of us will kind of sit in the sidelines and smile and nod. I like that. You'll laugh with God. Um, I, I get that. So there's there's a, something I really like about that proverb that's kind of a hidden message within it. And uh, so those of you listening, and if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I think one of the big factors of that proverb is that you're telling the universal entity, you're telling him how it's going to go. Yeah. There's no humility. Um, and no, there's that, not you know, one thing to converse. Right. It's one thing to to plan and have an idea, but I'm a big fan of the same. Well, I'm not a big fan of saying uh, strong opinions loosely held. I prefer strong opinions delicately held like a baby. Right. You, you don't want to squeeze it to death, but you are never going to drop it. Um, the same is true with our, our opinions. If we can have them and know that we have a conviction around them, but also be receptive to life lessons. I find more peace. Um, when I, when I, do absolutely. And, in, in, things will go wrong. I mean, um, accept that. I mean, what I tell people about raising money, especially is what do you look for an investor? So the most important question, in my opinion, in my experience that you can ask any potential investor is, you know, tell me about a situation where one of your portfolio companies, just something went really wrong. Mm -hmm. And, and how did you help them get out of that? Because they'll all tell you the same thing. We have a great network. We're very founder friendly, on and on and on. And, and not to be dismissive of it. I'm, I'm sure some of that sure. is true and people work hard. But, you know, startups like life will have their own challenges. Things, you know, unexpected things will come up. You will make mistakes and whatever it may be. And when that happens, you know, who is going to stand beside you and say, wow, that is a pretty big mess up. Like, that. Wow. That sucks. Um, and then say, all right, um, you know, take a take a minute, take an hour, recalibrate, regroup, and then let's figure out and let's get a, a game plan to get out of it. That's what you need. That's what you need in life. That's what you need in startups. That's what you need, whether you're going to start a small business. The people who are going to say, well, what are you going to do? 
or why did this happen? I mean, those are relevant, important questions because you don't want to make the same mistake twice. But I don't need somebody, you know, asking me, you know, what are you going to go do when the crap hits the fan? Like, I'm well aware, like I'm covered in it. Right. Like, I I know what happened. (laughs) I'm I'm covered in, 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 in poo. So asking me like what I'm going to go do, well, clearly I'm going to go clean myself up and I'm going to get back, you know, back in it. Yeah. Um, I don't need you asking me in, in badgering me about other things. If, if you, if you want to help, then, you know, jump in and please help. Um, right. If you're going to sit here and bicker and question and second guess, then, you know, stop taking up oxygen in my space, go somewhere else right. and, and, and do it there. Cause my team and I have, have real work to go do. And you're we're going to get a healthy back in the boundary room. and yeah. you're, you're, you're making sure that the cancerous nature of doubting yeah. does not infect exactly. the, the surroundings. And I'm, I'm a big fan of that too. You, and one of the entities that faced that more than anybody in this past year is the Texas Rangers. Okay. <laughs> so Texas Rangers, right. You can, you know, you can imagine they, they've never, they've never won. The yeah. championship. And so naturally, as they get closer and closer, you're going to have the, I don't know, sometimes it's the holy fools of the world, you know, or the, the people, they're the naysayers and the doubters say like, well, I don't know. You've never done this before. You know, I don't know. Like, we know. I like that you say that. I'm already covered in that response. There's no yeah. new addition. Yeah. And so there's a there's a politically correct or a PR need to kind of handle that with grace, um, you know, to an extent, but there's also a need to just shut the ears um, yeah. and, and focus on the virtues of what we need to do to win. So I'm, gl- I'm really glad you you hit that. Let's yeah. use the rest of our time, Eric, if you don't mind, to talk about preparing for the, yeah. the small business exits. What are the things that so obviously exit guides a big part of that. And if you want me to, I'll I'll share the screen and kind of guide sure. through that that um, tool and resource. But feel mm-hmm. free to talk about anything that we need to know. Yeah. So, so really, you know, the people we're targeting are small Main Street business owners. And so, you know, different than Silicon Valley, which I was, you know, still enjoy working in that, that environment. But what I say is the people we help, you know, are, are kind of real businesses with real revenue that deliver real value and you interact with every day. And most have never exited a business before. They may have successfully started one and run it or taken it over and run it. They've never exited before. So where we want people to start is let's just help you learn. What could your business be worth? Like we have a free assessment. It takes seven to 10 minutes to, to, to complete. It's going to give you a range for what your business is worth. And then we're going to drop you into an experience where you can at least understand what are the steps. So the steps for selling the assets and closing the business are actually different than the steps for preparing your business to find a buyer in your local community, which is even different than trying to assign the business to a family member. So we want to create a, a simplified journey that allows you to prepare. And this is the step I think a lot of people, you know, to date have missed that we're trying to correct, which is, you know, come onto our website, we'll list your business and someone will go buy it. Well, not really. If you plan to sell your house, you don't just wake up one morning and stick a sign in the yard and list it on Zillow. You kind of go around the house and you're like, okay, what needs to be repaired? Should I get an inspection to find out what are the things that that need attention that are going to get flagged in the inspection? So the, the, the initial assessment gives you kind of an idea of, okay, your business is worth between X and Y. And based on, you know, the information you've given us, 
your intended plan is to do this type of exit, sell to a family member, and you want to do that in the next 90 days. So now we get somebody kind of, you know, ready to go through the preparation process. Well, that gets down to a whole host of things, documents, formation documents. Is this an LLC? Is it a S Corp? Is it a partnership? Is it a sole proprietorship? What do your financials look like? You know, how owner dependent is this business? Are there systems and procedures in place that would allow a new owner to step in? And, you know, all the data suggests that that about, you know, over 50% of deals fall apart during due diligence. Hmm. And a big portion of that is because people jump the gun. They're just like, I want $500,000 for my business. Someone told me it should be worth around that. And I'm going to start listing it on biz, buy, sell, and a bunch of other websites and see what I get. Hmm. Probably the worst thing you can do. And, and there's a variety of reasons for that. One is, well, if you're listing the hyper-local business on a website that attracts millions of eyeballs from around North America and around the world, somebody who lives in you know Tallahassee, Florida, looking at your business in Spokane, Washington, quite frankly, is just you know burning you know dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one, you need to think about who in your local community might be a buyer for your hyper-local business. Two is if they say yes, I'm interested and you have bad information or not enough information or, right? So if you have a leaky roof and your foundation is in need of repair and you haven't disclosed that or done that process yet, well, this isn't going to go well. You may have actually just pushed your your greatest opportunity away and and, and the deal's gonna fall apart because you're not ready. So when we talk about preparation, we really wanna help people, you know, just get their ducks in a row. And, you know, virtually often I'm gonna say the same thing. I don't know what that looks like. I'm like, that's exactly why we exist. Right. We want you to be able to do this from your smartphone or your 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 laptop and we'll show you what it is. And we're not going to use a whole bunch of gobbledygook language. We're going to say, you know, you're going to need these types of financial statements. You need these types of reports. You can upload this here if you have questions. And then what we've done is we've we've recruited experts who normally would work with much bigger entities, but they all love to help small business owners. And so they will do coaching sessions in their one hour session. So if you want to talk to somebody who's a valuation expert, you can book an hour of his time. If you want to talk to somebody about deal structure and talk to an attorney, you can book an hour of someone's time. And that goes on and on and on. And so our goal is to say, hey, look, you know, you don't have a $20 million company that can t- put, you know, six people on this deal and they're going to go prepare the reports and create the data and do all the other things. We're going to show you how to go do this. It doesn't need to be over, overly complex. This, you know, there, there generally is not as many moving parts for these types of businesses that are with others. And, you know, what we'll do is we'll have somebody so that before they send out, for example, they could t- take one of our sell sheets, which they can purchase. And it's kind of a slick way of packaging up your business to present it to, to potential buyers. But what we want them to do is before they send that thing out, is that they're sending it out knowing that if two people come back and say, yes, I'm interested in taking a deeper look, it's... It, it, it doesn't send them into a panic and it should, shouldn't, but, but that's what happens today. So people ask me like, what do people who, who, what do people do today? And the honest answer is they're left, you know, dangling in the wind. They don't really have tools. People say, we'll try to sell your business here, but no one's going to buy that business. It's not ready um, mm. to, to engage a buyer. And so uh, the, the, Part of learning is let's let's give you a range, and it's generally a pretty wide range of what your business could be worth. Let's give you access to videos and content for free that you can at least say, okay, what is you know 
what is it meant by an asset purchase agreement? Well, you know, what is what does due diligence look like? How do I do it? And then, you know, when you're ready, then we put some some tools in place so that you can actually go and, you know, uh, you know, start to, to to put those pieces in place. And then when you're ready to transact, then we put a deal team on it. We charge, you know, a, a small percentage, generally about a third of what a broker might might charge to put a, a small deal team in place to help walk you through using this dashboard, what you need to do so you can go from, okay, Jack Jackson and I have agreed that he wants to buy my coffee shop for $450,000. Now what, you know, well, now we can kind of say, okay, has he, has he reviewed all the financials? Has he taken these steps? Have you provided him this information? And then when you're ready to transact, how do we put the right agreement in place? Am I helping you finance this through a loan from the, the seller? Uh, and so you're getting support from real people along the way who aren't necessarily doing the work for you, but what they're doing is they're giving you those guardrails to make sure, okay, you've given your buyer the right financial information, you've put the right deal terms in place and the right type of agreement. Is this an asset purchase? Is it a business purchase, a share purchase? And now, you know, you guys have, have moved through this and now you're ready to actually consummate the deal and close the transaction. So we're there, you know, in, in many ways in the background is a supporting cast, combining these experts with the technology platform. So you can kind of move through these steps uh, in many ways, like you would with a, a TurboTax, right? You know, you yep. can get everything ready to prepare the taxes on your own, but if you get stuck and you need help from the CPA, you can get it done. And hopefully it's not a panic on April 14th that you're filing it, but if you do, we'll do our best. Right. Eric, I can't say enough how much I love your vision. Thank you. I really can't. Thank you. Um, and, you know, there's some elements of the brand that just really stand out to me. Um, one, your authenticity as a leader um, to dive into to all of the, you know, the jarring things um, that not everybody agrees with. Um, two, the UX and UI of Exit Guide, the amount of the amount of dedication you put in. Well, I'm sure that you want to do more. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, that's a shout out to I, <laughs> if, if you want to see it. The I could, if, if there was a competition for the world's you worst UX person, like you and I would be I, gold medal, I'd be I'd be the uh, well, is, I'd be the Michael Phelps. So Jason Ricci and and yeah. Andrew Lee are my co-founders, and uh, it doesn't surprise God, me. They, they are there. Yeah, you already said it. You already said it. Find the people right who are better yeah. at you at doing the things and, yeah. and let them go to work. I'm micromanaging. Absolutely. So yeah. What I'm seeing with that, and here's why this matters. Okay, Credit Karma should you know they again ux ui i would have never trusted them with my credit scores as a consumer yeah. right? i would have never trusted them with the credit card recommendations and the loan recommendations and all that but they do two bit things very very well and i see you on the same track one they're extremely transparent they try to be um you know mm -hmm. I, i'm starting to see them cut little corners on that now uh, as you know years have gone by and they're trying to scale and all that but yeah. but that they've dedicated themselves to educating the market to an yes. extreme fashion. So I see you doing that. And then I see the dedication to helping this feel friendly um, and the, the experience that's there, um, the type form going into to calculating at the end. And, you know, I'll get the email about it. And y'all are y'all are moving in very much the direction yes. in a market that desperately needs to understand this better. And I know one of the challenges that you'll face and visionaries who are listening in that might be at that stage where you're trying to sell, my greatest advice to you is if you're going into that and you're not willing to reveal your cards, you're going to get a very wrong answer. 
Yeah. Right? You, you don't Very manipulate true. the system. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to inflate yeah. these numbers yeah. because I feel bad yeah. for where they, well, you're not yeah. going to get a real answer. Yes. Um, so that's something that that is, that's again, why this transparency aspect matters to me, why the vision matters. I've been in other systems that, that uh, profess having all of the knowledge, but when you try to dig for understanding it as a beginner, there's nothing there. And it's like, well, you didn't bridge my knowledge gap. Um, so I can't confide in you. And the system is just so 1990s yeah. that it's it's also hard to be motivated to go through and explore the the depths of what's there. So um, again, I just speaking as a startup founder who's been through the grind of creating system after system after system after system yeah. and knowing like, I love what you're building. Well, thank I wish you. you the best for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vision and pros. Kudos to listening. If you have a question for Eric, you know, or, or a comment regarding these processes, by all means, throw it in the, the show notes. Uh, sorry, throw it in the social media channel of your choice. We'll forward those to Eric on the landing page. We'll have a link as well to exit guides. So you can check that out, of course. Um, if people want to reach out to you directly, Eric, what's the best way to reach you? Eric at exitguide.com. And it's Eric with a C. Cool. You got the email address, my friends. Um, put your put your chat GPTs on that. Um, and, and we'll get Eric. Uh -huh. <laughs> so Eric, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, Jackson. Uh, really enjoyed it. And appreciate what you're doing for, for, for entrepreneurs and for your community and in being authentic as well. Absolutely. We look forward to having you back in the near future. It'd be awesome to dive into more details. Be happy to. Thanks again. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time and attention. Have an excellent